Nishit, I'm so excited to talk to you. This is the first time we are having a conversation online and having, uh, you know, and I have the privilege of interviewing you. Before I get into Locus, you have a very interesting background and you were doing very interesting stuff. And I didn't, you hadn't told me that you have a patents in machine learning. So first you tell me about your background and what got you to start Locus. A, a, a lot of serendipity. I mean, we tell this as the first thing to all our clients also that I have zero background in logistics. Like uh, we were building a women's safety app. And how did all that came about is that uh, the thing I enjoy the most is building. Right. So I've gone to Bates Pilani and there one of the best parts is that you actually do not have a concept of attendance. Right. <laughs> At best attendance can, you know, be counted for 5%, but it's definitely not an eligibility criteria, right? Like nobody's trying to score 95% in an engineering exam anywhere. So you could like easily drop and drop out of classes. So I did a lot of work in experimental physics. Hmm. Uh, I'm actually a published researcher uh, in the area of optics. Like we, we built like a photon tunneling microscope. Uh, what does that even mean? So, so uh, you know, basically when you take a camera and you take a picture, it looks at everything together. Right. Mm. And then electron tunneling or a photon tunneling, what you do is effectively you shoot a beam of photons at each point, x, y, x1, y1, x2, y2, and then you compute the reflection back. Right. So like a typical one micron resolution commercial system costs about like half a million dollar. And we were able to replicate it in twenty twenty five thousand dollars Right. So I really enjoy building. As a matter of fact, in the Locus office, there's a hardware lab where like a bunch of us often on the weekends or at night, like hack around stuff, like a bunch of these lights and all like, you know, we have a little API script in the background. Yeah. So we have in general, like a hardware hacking culture, even at Locus. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I love building stuff. Like I started by doing in experimental physics and then I got reasonably interested around the rise of natural language, machine learning. Uh, I did a few internships, you know, the uh, summer projects. Uh, then I started working in Amazon where I got a very unique opportunity to move to the AWS machine learning team, right? And that's mm. where I met my co-founder as well, Geet. So both of us come from different schools. He's from Kharagpur, I'm from Pilani. So we didn't meet in college, but we met by working at Amazon and uh, we worked together for two years. And the AWS ML team experience was a pretty cool one. Like I was more on the science side. He was more on the platform side. And there's a lot of code in that platform, you know, say around K-means clustering and all. That's actually handwritten by us, right? And that was a great learning experience. And uh, somewhere post the Uber incident, and that topic was actually just close to both Geet and I for personal reasons. Like my father is a... a trauma specialist in psychiatry. So he was involved with a few of those episodes, right? And we had, this was a lot of like family conversation for us as well as for Geet. And we, we built out this app called RightSafe, which, mm. which uh, route deviation feature, we used to call it, we used to call it real time route deviation detection. You know why? Yeah. Because it's R2D2. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like we, were, we were the stereotypical definition, you know, you could get at. So we made, we built up this system. We got a lot of, you know, actually at that point attention, it was just a, to be honest, media friendly topic, you know, IIT bits kids, uh, built out this women's safety app. Right. But interestingly, the on-demand economy was really coming up at that point. So we built up this app called RightSafe, which had this 
feature of route deviation, real-time route deviation detection. So for the first time, instead of just looking at a tracking link, you could actually automatically detect if the person is not on the tracking link, right? Uh -huh. If they're not actually going home without defining a route. So imagine Shraddha, you go to another city, right? You don't know the area. It's a typically you will take like a red eye flight. You get down, you put that I'm going to my hotel. And then the app used to constantly monitor is the driver taking you to your hotel through any rational route, right? Because a bunch of these untowards incidents used to happen on a deviation. Yeah. And this got adopted by the on-demand economy. You know, to be honest, like the first time when those guys called us, uh, like we were young, there was, there was a lot of utopian uh, hubris in us. And, you know, my first response was actually that, do you not know tracking systems exist? Do you not know there is a bunch of GPS systems, fleet management systems? Why are you hacking a B2C app? And uh, as in most cases, it turned out we were the idiots, right? And we were missing that critical nuance that they don't want to sit and track 10 guys. They want to sit and track 100 guys and the 10 exceptions that are coming. Uh -huh. Everybody has been really focused on supply chain visibility. There is a huge world that exists beyond the visibility into decision making. Hmm. You know, to be honest, we also, you know, have this internal view where we can see, uh, you know, thousands of trucks moving across and sometimes it feels cool to, you know, get a cold one, put your legs up on the table, right? But what do I do with that information? Like, why is that still a dependency on a human, right? If you look at it, deciding in logistics is basically factoring in a bunch of real-time variables, which are changing very, very fast to make a multi-objective decision. This is actually very close to how algorithmically stocks are traded, right? And nobody even imagines that those stocks, you know, algorithmic trading can be done by humans. The maths is not new, but the stock market got connected. And if we think of it, that's what digital maps and supply chain visibility is doing. That the first, mm -hmm. that, you know, that the first stage is that the supply chain is getting electrified with this visibility. And that's great. But this is, to be honest, the starting point, right? Like we think you could, you can, you can build an algorithmic chief supply chain officer or an assistant for him, right? Which augments him in all his daily tactical as well as strategic decision-making because this is a problem statement fundamentally suited for algorithms. It was being done by humans because there wasn't enough data. And the second most important factor, you personally were never a part of supply chain. If you mm. think of it like you and I, 10 years back, right? We would just go to a shop and pull a package from there. Today, what is the difference between your package and your message notification? Both mm. gets to you, right? Like this has changed something which was practically static for 70 years. Like nobody was worrying about 24 hour deliveries, like post containerization. 70 years, we had seven day of last mile replenishment time. You wait for five days, get an average demand and ship it out. Maybe winters and summers route will change. Baki sir broadly is safe. And that's what has changed. Like you and I have entered the supply chain, dramatically increasing the complexity and hence increasing the need of decision making. And that's what Locust does that. We're a technology platform that will plug into your supply chain as an enterprise and start automating all the human decision making that was there. Right? So your route planning, road planning, 
address corrections, network planning. And the idea is to do that not in just ideal world, but in actually, you know, India, Jakarta, Ho Chi Minh, right? Where both of us write addresses completely different. Like every single time my mom writes opposite Hanuman Mandir and I write opposite HDFC Bank. And now instead of that postman, there needs to be a little algorithm which understands that both of these guys mean the same thing. Mm. That's effectively what we're trying to build. Take us through someone who was operating pre, you know, by example, I'm saying example of stage wise, pre-locus and post-locus, pre-locus world and post-locus world. Step by example, step by step example. So let's talk about groceries, right? Mm. I think the most typical thing like None of us till three months back have ever worried about how our groceries reaches <laughs> us. But now we definitely care for it. Right? So let's talk about groceries. Right? Mm. So let's say the large grocer, e-grocer operating in India. Right? Mm. Uh, we run 75% of all organized groceries. So uh, now this person, every day, because it could be a Sunday or because there could be a new news, or there could be a long weekend coming. This, this company has say 50 distribution centers across 25 cities, right? Mm. In some cities, one center, in some cities, three, four centers. Each of these centers need to fulfill a dynamic demand somewhere between 500 to 1000. Mm. Okay. The last decade in supply chain, you would have heard a lot of these words about demand forecasting. Mm. Right? Everything was about forecasting. Let's predict it out. Right? I think at this point, most of us are accepting genuine defeat against the randomness of universe. Right? And what we are saying is that instead of having these heavy structured supply chains, which need to be planned for three to six months, let's mm. build ultra nimble, agile stuff, which can actually react in 12 to 24 hours. There's no mm. need to procedure because you can't anyway do it. Right. I can maybe predict my winter and summer demand, but a large e-grocer in India cannot predict whether today from this area, there will be 500 or 700 orders. Yeah. So now that we have established that this is the problem that, you know, I'm going to face 500 and thousand orders. And the problem is like, you know, um, Shraddha Sharma has a lot of followers on Twitter. There is no way I can delay her order. Hmm. Right. Big issue. Because, hmm. you know, this is not a supply chain going to retail stores. That if something mm. goes wrong, there will be an escalation. This mm. is going to consumers. If something is wrong, you will hear it on Twitter. Mm. So before either you would plan your resources for thousand orders, your max capacity, right? Effectively having, you know, higher cost per delivery, or you would take, if, if you are, if you are, you know, a cost conscious company, you would plan it for your average or minimal load. And when you have high loads, the one time that you really need to impress your customers, you will suffer SLADs. Right? Yeah. Because 1000 orders going to 500 homes in 20 vehicles with temperature and other stuff can have up to 1 trillion possible combinations. Hmm. No way you can select an optimal combination by you know doing it on pen and paper and using the law of averages. Which was the thing is prior to 2010, it was working because your demand itself was not that fluctuating. Hmm. Your demand is ultra fluctuating, not just in B2C segment, but also in B2B segment. 
So a large company like Unilever now needs to continuously evaluate their channel mix that how much will it be shipped through e-commerce, how much through general trade, how much through modern trade. Mm. And to that one store, now there is no one Vaseline. There is Vaseline, there's Vaseline Gold, there's Vaseline Intensive Care, Vaseline for your face, Vaseline which looks like a fruit salad, right? Now I have five SKUs. Mm. I cannot stock 50 units of five of them, right? So I need to stock less and I need faster replenishment. So your demand is very dynamic so that paper and pen in a before scenario would either lead to SLMSs or increased cost. And this is effectively what we bring in, right? Uh, in all fairness, I didn't think of the next part when we started, but it's actually now coming out as a very strong value add. On an average, we also help you reduce 22% of your fuel, uh, which not is which is just not a cost optimization because that cost also gets factored in vehicle and all. It's also a huge green initiative. Yeah. There is a significant quantifiable reduction in your carbon emission per delivery. Hmm. In many of our customers from an average, you know, uh, re-attempt of delivery of 25 to 30%, we have taken it down to 5%. Why? By simply asking, hey, Shraddha, when do you want your package? And having a backend sophisticated enough that I can actually deliver to you that package in your 15-minute preference at a cost-efficient manner. For one of the largest e-grocers in India, Big Basket, we have delivered 10 on a case study, research case study, 10 million packages on a 90 minute SLA at a percentage of 99.5 across cities for wow. all traffic in India. Wow, good. Yeah. Yeah. Because it wasn't that India, Southeast Asia cannot use automation. It was that the maths was very simple. The maths was designed for spherical chickens in vacuum. They don't exist. Chickens are not spherical and friction is real, right? You need to design your software for it. So this is a contrast of a pre and post and why we are able to solve it today. From what you are describing, I feel this is a global, this is not just India, but it's a global solution all over the world. This must be, uh, you know, required. So are you operating across all geographies? Absolutely. So apart from India, where we have teams in Delhi, Bombay and Bangalore, uh, we have uh, small teams like 10 member teams in Jakarta. Ho Chi Minh, uh, San Fran, and uh, East Coast. Wow. Just before the COVID, we were setting up our EU operations. So we had set up our entity and all. And we look forward to launching a team uh, next year over there. Right. But today we have reasonable presence in Asia, uh, as in Southeast Asia and uh, India. Uh, and Indian By Indian subcontinent, we also include like uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, right? uh, Middle East. Uh, and next year is when we're going to look at Europe. And right now, one of our most interesting regions is North America. I think North America has also demonstrated, especially the logistics sector, an insane amount of resilience in this time, right? And uh, when we asked them why, right? Like we, we saw fury of activity in, you know, logistics in North America, right? This the thing was very simple. Every three, four years since the last 20 years, we consistently had a disruption. 2017 was ELD. Big deal. This is one more. Wow. Nothing right. is stopping. Right. So there are a lot of, you know, specific tailwinds, sure, for tech, logistics, tech, logistics, tech, right? But just as business operations, 
right? Like the propensity, the mindset, we, and, and we sell, for example, a lot in distribution sector. And there we are seeing like, you know, parity to what intuitive sense would be. But uh, some of the companies in core logistics sectors are actually demonstrating, you know, increased purchasing power and, uh, you know, far more resilience than we would have, uh, than our limited, you know, business knowledge would have expected. Two young Indian entrepreneurs, you guys have uh, built a product which is being used world over. And, and uh, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. How much time did it take for you to launch Locus and, 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 and establish yourself all over? That's a, that's a very interesting question. And uh, as I answer that, I need to thank my angel and early investors. Right? Uh, we started in 2015 when the, hmm. you, know, you go back during that time, the peak Peak debate on Twitter was whether an MBT should be six weeks or nine weeks. <laughs> uh, I think it took us six months to hire the first two, three members of the team. We were like all either like senior engineers or PhDs. It took us 12 months to build like a first, you know, rough Python, you know, prototype solution that we have figured out the maths, but not the software, right? And it took us in 18 months to get our first anything out that can, that can be touched to a customer and almost two years of like core IP development to get our first real customer production deployment line, right? Uh, but then the next two years, we saw like almost logarithmic scale. Like, for example, you know, one of, one of the most interesting uh, the uh, KPIs for us is how many unique locations we visit. I may be delivering, you know, 10,000 uh, items at one location, but how many unique locations I visit because that's how we get our revenue. And more importantly, that's how we got our data. Right. So it took us like the full that first two years of development to get to something like 800,000 orders a day. Then in the next year, we climbed to 100,000 orders a day at 100x and then the next year we again climbed to million orders per day and wow. since then we've seen a few hundred percent by our growth but yeah like it took us two years to get to a thousand orders a day and from there it took us two years to go thousand x at a million orders million new locations a day so yeah, yeah no you know but interesting okay. that you're saying this because uh today morning i had a conversation with anand from clever tap and he oh, said yeah. that you know his mvp was three years in making of course, he was talking to customers, building, getting feedback, but three years. And what you are saying is to get your IP in place. It yeah. took two years. And, and one of the things he was saying is to get a right product. Don't rush it. And if you look at both the businesses, for him, it was the finesse of the product. For me, it was the IP. But basically, both of us were entering established things, right? Like we could not be the first in the market. So our only option was to be the best in the market. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying quick MVPs is bad. Like they're perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certain set of problem statements for, for us, like route optimization wasn't new. It's a hundred year old problem, right? Like everybody has heard of this traveling salesman thing. Right? Uh, our thing was to make it work in the real world. So we really didn't have an incentive to be the first in the market. Like, like we sell tech, to other public market companies who weren't really waiting for us to be born or have a, you know, investor to show technology adoption. 
they would only adopt if there are core kpis being saved mm-hmm. right for us there was a lot of incentive to be you know to have at least a significant delta at the day of zero launch like we don't need to be breadth first but we had to be very very depth first yeah yeah like that years did we have i think or around the third year mark or second to third year mark did our engineering count increase our ds count like we had two three ds and two three engineers for a really long time yeah now that you're saying about the depth of the product but you know one of the conversations that we had and i was very excited that as a startup as a young startup you onboarded phd's and let's talk about that because we don't hear many phd guys being onboarded in startups now finally we are having this conversation on camera camera like exactly <laughs> so tell us about locus and all the phd's that you got Uh, no, we we have a huge uh, respect, genuine need, as well as like clear cut deliverable outputs by them, right? Uh, when you when you get a PhD talent, you're not really looking at just matching the dissertation. Sure, you know domain expertise, but two core things that really that that you're able to borrow from them is one. genuinely deep problem solving skills and second the commitment to hit at it so mm. for example one of our really core solutions is converting an address to a lat log you know mm. any anywhere written address because without that you can start you can't start digitizing the supply chain itself right so that took us two years three months three different attempts two different teams to get the first version out wow but today wow. it, it's the it's the starting point of 60% of my revenue right wow. and anybody like including me would have you know been tem- tempted to give up mm these mm. have that you know vision that commitment have seen sustained gradual progress have seen the multiplier effects of that right uh yeah so for us like it's a, it's an extremely critical thing and as a matter of fact we have a policy of you know ignoring the weaknesses and doubling down on the strengths when it come to ip right so if we think that someone has a better ip and they are significantly ahead and it's not core to us we don't need to be comp- like it's not an ego question we would partner with them right and on the once we are strong we actually increase our ds right like we are we are t- right now at least a skip level ahead of a lot of literature and our data like we are always and one of the good things is that you know i think data science is also very uh, like this universe is a pretty small universe like you know founders and investors there's a lot of reference checks that work everybody has worked with everybody somewhere or the other right and it's typically like at least in our metrics first getting the first time hiring right is far easier in data science than other places right and they have been extremely core pillars for us like we would not be without our data science like i have done more maths in locus in last 5 years than i did in 5 years at wix so we came to locus after you know two sort of b2c ventures like pinchat and rightsafe and uh, like i was 25 then and you know i won't at all shy away from the fact that you know during those days it was even cool for me to write like just a founder in the signature right but by the time we came to locus a lot of that had gone away right so we actually did a reasonable amount of primary research like we like what i mean by that is like for a period of 3 months because you know and that time when you going to ask a cxo 
he'll be like yeah everything is automated but when the package comes at my home i am signing on a piece of paper where is the dislike what's happening have you noticed that silent change in your life in last 3 4 years yeah. you're not signing 4 years on a paper anymore right and uh, and for that we actually like you know we we uh, we've slept with the truck drivers under the truck on the roadways outside on the highways right like we've been at bhivandi nilmangla like you know places like 40 kilometers outside the city boundary like spent days like you know uh just a lot of glucose biscuits and chai right uh, because we wanted to understand that you know like like i i was an engineer right for me route optimization was a solved problem we did a course in it in college called graphs and network right there was a volume of literature available so it took me 100 days to first convince myself that this is not a solved problem boss <laughs> it's only like a very simplified theoretical version of it is a solved problem and right now our customers ask us so for example during covid right what has happened is a bunch of uh, warehouses get shut down and open on a far more frequent basis than a typical because of containment zones and things right and now people want to optimize their supply chain in real time across multi legs this math doesn't even exist even with us like we have no shame in admitting it like as a matter of fact like anything close to it does not exist anywhere we have some versions where we are experimenting right uh, we are trying out even different hardware like using you know graphics cards x86 tpus right but it's really really interesting i do believe that in a period of 5 years like we would get to a point where you should be able to move up any package or a person from any point a to any point b without any human decisions involved right mm. there will be humans involved in driving and actual mechanical movement but not in the decision making and yeah like uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty interesting time to be here like you know it's uh, like for example otherwise like one of my other like i like aviation right but nothing has changed in commercial aviation in last 40 years as a kid my delhi bombay flight is shorter than it was today because they didn't care about fuel economy right logistics is in that 10 20 years period you know in a century where it's going to like post containerization it's that part right so uh even if you have an even if you have an adhd on problem solving you can't finish it because everything around you is changing right every time i go to like you know one of my public market customers they have three new people we have never met and you know they have new problem statements we have to always debate like revenue and product as a matter of fact is always fighting right so good problems but definite problems yeah yeah and, we, yeah and that comes across that you're enjoying the process yeah Yeah, definitely like yeah, like, uh, yeah I, i'm enjoying the process like you know we i feel sharper today than i felt that you know when i was 25 26 none of us are always i'm setting in and uh, like a, a lot of every day is actually about like just problem solving over like pointless politics so yeah it's a lot of fun nishit take us through uh, you know how you onboarded your investors because you have very good interesting set of investors take us through the journey and also the angels who came yeah. in very early and believed in what you were building yeah, yeah and uh, i think our angels have a very like our angels and uh, we had a very early series a with xfinity and bloom right uh, on, 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 on the we actually like i can i can i can show my series a deck Right, my series A deck didn't have a single number. Right, like it had 
about talked about maths and IT, but no revenue projections, no cost, nothing. Uh, so let's talk. Let's you know. So like, I've uh, Amit Ranjan, who's the founder of SlideShare, is one of my first early angel investors, right? Uh, Sheetal from GrowX, right? Um, Manish Singhal, who, who's now with Pi, and now Pi is also an investor in us. Right, but Manish, Sheetal, Amit, uh, Bala and Shilesh from Xfinity and Sanjay from Bloom, right? Uh, they were amazing. I mean, not they are amazing. Like, and you know, to be like today, I, I like you know, uh, like it's not about voting. Right? So, like you know, I think I've pointed that, so I have no incentive to really say anything not factually correct, right? But I think we have been fortunate, uh, mm -hmm. and what that was that uh, these people helped us reference the next set of investors. So as we onboarded DNext Recruit, uh, we got great partners there. We onboarded Recruit, uh, Shweb, right? And then eventually on the series D. Right. Uh, so it's be like, it, it's especially the early investors, they were super patient with us. I remember panicking a lot during the 18 month mark that, you know, uh, we, we don't have production customers. Uh, demos keep on extending. What is this? I thought it, people should buy in three weeks. It's been three months. The price is not closing the deal, right? And Shailesh from Xfinity, I mean, he has built the whole Infosys business, right? And it's like, like he, like yeah. I remember one time he literally doing this in the board meeting, right? And it was actually our, a lot of our investors who taught us about enterprise sales. We were we were developers, like, right? Uh, we understood developers. We understood tech. We understood maths, right? Uh, if I can break a business into a matrix and framework, we understood that, right? But we did not at all ent understood enterprise ways of functioning, uh, right? Uh, our investors have helped us in certain hiring as well. Like uh, you remember, for my, like you know, for example, when I was hiring my head of finance, like I have no knowledge in finance, and there's nobody else in the team also. So how can I pretend to interview someone, right? <laughs> so I must must have put like one of my investors at least easily through like 10 to 12 one hour interview sessions. Wow. Out of which, according to him, I should have hired four, like, and it just doesn't, right? But the guy didn't give up, like, they're not, they've been super supportive in terms of time, you know, and just not causing stress. Mm. I think, I think that's actually, you know, something I've learned uh, COVID also. I wanted to uh, share this on the enterprise customer side, right? Like, uh, like somebody was asking me recently, what's my lesson out of the crisis? And I'm like, you know, I don't think we're out of the crisis yet. So it would be too early to talk about this lesson, right? But I do have certain observations. Mm. And one of them has been that how, how a lot of, how one of the great parts about dealing with enterprise customers is that tough conversations don't need to be acrimonious. Yeah. Everybody is out there to build a rational business. They're not playing a zero sum game. They do yeah. not think when you have to lose, right? We have never suffered a single bad debt from an enterprise uh, or delayed anything. As a matter of fact, some of our largest enterprise customers, you know, uh, like some of the largest groups in India actively reached out to us that do you need, you know, help with zero percent finance? We can't afford for you guys to go down, right? Uh, some when when people wanted to negotiate rates, like we have had a lot of tough conversations in the last two months, 
but not necessarily acrimonious conversation right and i'm definitely extremely appreciative of the efforts of my customer success team who put in their time in building those relationships right uh, but yeah it was a lot of you know like how do i put it like uh, i i won't say faith in humanity restored because it wasn't really like lost type but i think i had a lot of prejudices in my hand in my head because i had never really dealt with you know we are still very uh, first principles maths guys right and uh, it was just such a positive experience over the last two three days like these were tough quarters but it was not an acrimonious quarter right as a matter yeah. of fact we grown far closer to many of our customers we are now active part of their operation changes you know they had to move overnight from slotted deliveries to slotless deliveries there were operational changes right and we are now very close part of many of our customers 21 road so yeah that way i think like this was uh, this was, I, i think it was a tangent to what you asked but yeah that was relevant uh, nishit tell me now that you are in this logistics space and uh, we've seen so many investments in the logistics space but overall funding is down right now uh, some sectors are doing well we are hearing about edtech and of course logistics also seems to be like the backbone uh, how do you see investments and how do you see opportunities in the logistic logistic tech what do you call it logistic tech only ha huh? in the logistic tech space uh okay so uh first let me tell you the market facts and then ha 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 we have to break you know companies into three categories so something like edtech where there is just a lot more of investment activity and at very good terms right the second uh would be where which which are sectors which are not seen like an uh overnight instant tailwind but a lot of first principles suggest very uh, genuine sustained tailwinds and there are very factual signs of it right so they are seeing an increased level of interest and at the same terms as pre covid mm. and then there is the third segment which is seeing a decreased interest decreased interest directly leads to you know uh, not so optimal terms i think logistics takes in the second right we are mm. definitely not in the like like is the interest something like in video conferencing no absolutely not but is it more than where it was in december 2019 yes right and are people only just looking for attractive deals no i think there's a very genuine interest we have had a lot of uh, good new conversations right uh, yeah so that's right and uh, my view is also that that i think it's fair it's absolutely fair that i would not compare logistics like no enterprise business should see tailwinds at the same speed as a b2c business hmm right yeah uh, so yeah so for us uh, so that's where i would also put it and we are seeing a lot more lot of interest we are not actively you know looking out to raise right now uh, thankfully uh, like you know as as we were discussing earlier like we have a significant southeast asia exposure as well and in a way we saw a reasonable impact or you know we're hearing about covid about two months if not a full quarter earlier than when it completely hit india right uh, so we are reasonably financially prepared right now we have an outlook of over 2024 months right uh, but somewhere yeah somewhere somewhere next year you know after basically uh, so yeah now now as, as a company we're always looking to do more milestone driven raises than runway driven raises right 
uh, we think some of those key milestones will close by Q4. And if they do, then you know, on Q1 to basically double down on those experiments, we will step out. And I hope some of this, uh, I, I think this interest will be there. And in full transparency, you know, something that goes in my head as a FOMO is that uh, what if many, what if some of these funds make their only bet in the logistic tech now? But I think I'm ready to, I'm, we're okay to take that risk and play out the patient game. And I've learned something new from you. Milestone-based funding rather than runway-based funding. No, you yeah. said? Ah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, or see, G- we're an enterprise business, right? So if you have more than 12 months of runway, there's technically always an option for us to be unprofitable. I mean, yeah. for most good businesses, yeah. right? Like most software businesses run at a reasonable gross margin. Like per unit profitability is not our concern, right? Uh, so it's, it's always like, you know, I think after you cross a certain base stage, it would become more about milestones. Like, you know, if those milestones is not working, then money will not solve my problem. Yeah. Right now I need to run my experiments. The number of customers that you have, like the number of, uh, 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 customers that you serve across the globe. And second thing is that if I can get a peep, we all can get a peep peeping into your boardroom. What's the big dream? What's the big number? What's the big thing that you are chasing? And what do you talk to your investors about? Our secret sauce is our maths. And even if I want, I can't explain it in 10 minutes, right? <laughs> so 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 we have we have we have two legs of customers. So we have uh, 70 customers which are for our revenue, and we maintain wow. a 20 uh, customer bed which is not for a revenue, but for our product development. So there are more experimental features, experimental sets, but we have 70 customers. I hope eventually we grow to 200 customers out of the fortune 500, right? And are able to play a very meaningful change for each of them. Uh, if you if you go into the Locus boardroom, right? Uh, so I think it's, it's a very three, it's a three part thing right now. Right, right. We're definitely very, very focused on how to get to $100 million and at about $100 million run rate. And at T minus one, hit actually, uh, you know, EBITDA profitability while growing with that scale. The second, this is actually something we don't, to be honest, talk a lot about outside, right? Is once we reach to be at that scale to truly think about a data platform, right? Hmm. Hello? talk about data but you know we were building the aws platform. like people misunderstand what's big data like you can solve terabytes of and these billions of rows right on your iphone x like big data is a few million times that scale right and processed in a few right so once we reach there is when we would right now we want to be all focused on data processing right as i said augment the human decision making and my personal and this is where the final state is that you know over the next seven to ten years can we actually play the role of a chief supply chain officer for fortune 500 can we build a product broad and deep enough that can cover the multimodal and cross-boundary expanse that we can move and plan for any package movement i mean uh, i don't mean it you know like as a really legally that there won't be a yeah product evolve right and that's our and like you know like if i take it on my office you'll actually see it scribbled at various boards like a lot of everyday decision making we make sure like for example enterprise customer ask right 
is it aligning to our vision of you know unifying decision making in logistics if yes maybe we'll do it if not it's okay right? wow. so this yeah, this is not just like you know a random writing on the wall this is like a very guiding compass to make everyday decisions so that's our core eventual thing right i think we would need the, like revenue is just a proxy for scale yeah. we would need that build that data platform and we would need that data platform which in combination with our data processing platform will act as our chief supply chain so now we are in money matters so you have to uh, tell me what does money personally mean to you sure i mean uh, i i have this conversation actually with a lot of our uh, senior hires right uh, i personally believe happiness does not depend on the value of variables but it depends on the number of variables what mm. i mean that is my happiness will increase if money is no more a variable in my life right over whatever that value of money is so khali it's not about gyan let's convert it into practical nah, tell me mujhe simply batao right so for me i think money means more about financial independence right yes so right now i don't have kids and if i'm living in a city like bangalore right uh, if perpetually every year inflation adjusted somebody gives me say 25 to 30 lakhs maybe a little more if i have kids i will live a very empowered life experiencing whatever i want travel purchases i will like education for my kids and all that so any piece of sum which once invested will give me just this amount of money i'm happy with you know and i'm talking absolutely transparently so like a million dollars invested honestly will generate you over 50 lakhs you know uh, annually which gives me financial independence now beyond that you know and that's what gives us the freedom like so for example at this point we care about whether we can build you know we can build uh, the chief supply chain officer or not i really won't care at that point what's my dilution like any money beyond this i really couldn't like yes it will have some impact but not a meaningful impact right broadly to anybody you can impact money in three ways one is when you don't have it for survival so for a bachelor in bangalore i would say it's about 20 25000 you can rent a basic apartment you have internet food water you have enough money to jump to your next life right uh, second is your rhs where you can go to any restaurant not look at the right hand side right so this is where the experience of the thing and the third is what you know commonly is known as the fu money right which i think is the amount which invested wisely gives you your rhs money <laughs> that's it right? that's what money means to me right that, that's the amount of money i want to earn in those you know if i change countries and all it just for all of those but this is what my concept is you know i think right now i am at the rhs line or even f10 that's it so once the idea is to remove money as a variable the idea is never to optimize for money this is just the start we are going to discuss a lot of things and have regular conversation because i feel someone like you should also be talking and we should see more of you because there's so much that you could add to so many young people who would be you know in bitspilani or wherever in the country trying to build something very interesting something hatke and genuinely uh, you know trying to solve difficult problems so yeah so we should talk more